great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, Bills Mafia? Welcome in to another episode of Shout, a Buffalo Bills football podcast. The NFL Combine edition, at least the first edition of the week, will have multiple episodes of Shout. I'm on the ground here in Indianapolis. Ryan Talbot, he is back in Olean, fresh off of his vacation from Arizona. What is up, my friend? Not too much. Good to be home, but uh, missing that warmer weather for sure. Yeah, how hot was it? What was the hottest day? Uh, 81 day. We, we got right mm. up there. So, I mean, it was really, really nice to say the least. That's a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, um, we got a chance to talk to Brandon Bean today. Uh, we talked to Sean McDermott yesterday. We're going to get into some of the bigger talking points that have happened. I guess we could start with some news though, Ryan, the bills yesterday, uh, restructured the contract of Connor McGovern. Uh, starting the process of clearing somewhere around 35 to $40 million in salary cap uh, space that they're over the $255.4 million salary cap limit. Uh, so they restructure his deal. That clears about $3.75 million in cap space right off the jump. Obviously, the Josh Allen move is still out there. That is coming down the line. And Brandon Bean said today they have a bunch of moves that you know they're dealing with behind the scenes. They, th- those wheels are in motion. So those will start to trickle out over the next couple of weeks. You look at McGovern as a guy that um, entrenched as a starter, played every snap for the Bills this season. Uh, the restructure ends up keeping him here guaranteed this season and then next season. And then he's got two now additional void years where he's going to, he's going to have uh, salary cap uh, on the books for like somewhere around 6 million for two seasons. I, I don't think it's a huge issue, Ryan, just from the sense that I think he's part of their longer term plans. I think he could be in this offense for the next, you know, four or five years. And maybe they're looking at this as, okay, they rip up this deal. They do an extension uh, and, and rework some of the numbers there uh, down the road. Yeah, that's just it. This is a player that, like you said, they added in free agency one year ago. A uh, big part of the offensive line played uh, just about every snap possible in his first season in Buffalo and, and looked the part in terms of the expectations uh, run blocking versus pass blocking, kind of what we kind of knew going into it, but got better as the season went on, in my opinion, as well. So you start freeing up some salary cap uh, for this year, and you know we'll talk more about what Brandon Bean said about when he found out about the $255 million, but the Bills sat down months ago, and they said, all right, here's where we're currently at, and here are some moves, A, A B, C, D, and E, that we can do to get under the cap to get ourselves some uh, money to maneuver, not just in the draft, but also free agency. And this is just the first domino to fall. There's going to be more. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if there are some extensions along the way that lower some cap pits. So the first step, in, and in terms of a first step, it's a it's a good player, Like and like you said, someone that the Bills probably think is going to be here long term. Um, fun, fun comment from John Folletto here on YouTube. 
going back to, I think, last season when I coined the phrase uh, Jose Akendo for Ryan Bates because uh, he can do everything. He's that utility man that can play every single position on the offensive line. Uh, John asked uh, Valsetta, I should say, will they trade Ryan Bates? Uh, he lives in Chicago, and they'd still love him. Ryan, I don't think they're in a hurry to trade Ryan Bates. He's a valuable commodity, as is potentially a guy like David Edwards, if they can get him back on this on this roster. Somebody that, listen, the Bills had a whole season where they didn't have any issues on their offensive line when it came to injuries. But if one of those guys goes down, you're going to need somebody to fill in that void. I think Brian, Ryan Bates' his versatility, his ability to play center and guard, it, and tackle in a pinch, it's too valuable. Way too valuable. Not someone that you want to move. I know the cap hit. I know you know they matched the contract that the Bears had offered at the time. Um, we we saw at the end of the season, Mitch Morse even do an interview where he said, "I don't know, you know, what Buffalo's plan is for me in terms of the cap savings if they were to move on from him." Uh, I don't necessarily expect that, but if they ever were to do that, Ryan Bates is literally that next man up for the center position. Uh, but he's he's also that next man up for guard. He can be a swing tackle, you name it. He just plays too big of a role for this team for me to expect them to just kind of give him away. And, you know, you, you look across this league, every team's looking for O-line help. The Jets arguably got rid of their uh, most consistent offensive lineman yesterday because of the contract that they had built with him. And they're looking for multiple linemen. And the best teams in the league are always looking for O-linemen. The Bills will always be looking for depth and, and options. It's something that they've done since uh, this regime has taken over. So you don't just give away or give up on, on a guy because you're set from left tackle to right tackle. They were very healthy this past season on the O-line, but that doesn't mean it's going to keep happening that way in 2024 and beyond. Yeah, and there's $4, four million in dead cap. I just think it's too much on, right. on Ryan Bates to move on from him. Um, let's get to Trey White here because – you know, I think he's been, to me, the last two days, the topic, you know, listening to local and national reporters talk about when it comes to the Bills, he's at a position, as I covered last week with Sal Mayorana, uh, of great depth at this at this stage. I mean, if you take Trey White out of the equation, I still think Rasul Douglas, Kyer Elam, and Christian Benford, those three guys together create some really good depth. And not to mention Jamarcus Ingram, who's on a futures contract that's already played valuable reps for you. You're really solid at that spot. And that's why I've I've been more comfortable with the idea of the Bills moving on from Trey White. But here's the problem, Ryan. The more you listen to um, Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott talk about this guy, and we know what he means in the building from their perspective, from players perspective, this isn't like new news, but it's like you remove him and you remove so much experience, what he's done from the perspective of helping develop younger players, Levi Wallace, Dane Jackson, super complimentary of white over the years. And then being said, like when you're figuring out an, uh, you know, equation like this, when there's so many complicated factors, you have, you know, the, the lack of production, right? The lack of availability because of the injuries, uh, an aging player, all those things that you kind of put in the pot, but also there's the the character factor, like who is the person? And he said, uh, you're not going to find a higher character player than Tredavious White. You obviously put in the medical, like what does your medical team think? When will Trey, in this case, look like the Trey of old? And I thought this was interesting, Ryan. Is that training camp? Is that midseason? Is that two seasons from now? whatever. So in there, I thought that was interesting that like, okay, if you're going through this process of figuring out 
what do we have to do here to get Trey back to the player that he was? If it's going to be that two-year timeline, I think that's when you're more willing to maybe move on from the player as painful as that might be. I don't know if they're necessarily there yet. Another interesting thing that he added, modification of contracts. He added that in one of the you know avenues the team has to kind of create some cap space. And maybe you redo Trey's deal. Yeah, modification makes a lot of sense for Trey White. And, you know, I've, I've been saying if you're going to get rid of him, it makes the most sense if it was a post-June 1st uh, release because of the dead cap, uh, lessening it, getting some more cap space. I know the Bills would rather probably have some money to work with uh, for free agency for the draft, but that post-June 1st designation would go a long way with Trey White. If it is a two-year scenario, Matt, where he's not going to look like himself for that long, you have to move on. You you can't sit there and say and hope that he returns to form two years from now while having him on the books, while not knowing what he's going to be able to contribute over that course of time. Now, that being said, they you mentioned the character part. When the Bills came on board, Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean, you know, Trey White was Sean McDermott's first draft pick. We've covered this before. There's something to that. He was trying to build up a certain culture, uh, a certain mindset, and he knew that Trey White kind of matched what he was looking for. And it's kind of hard to part ways with players like that, uh, knowing what they've been, what they've meant to this team, what they could still end up being if healthy. Uh, But there's just so many question marks there. I like that Brandon Bean kept out almost every avenue open, didn't say this is a guy that's going to 100% be on our roster this upcoming season, but also didn't say that this is someone they're going to move on from either. He's keeping all avenues open, and like you said, maybe reworking the contract is the best uh, scenario for all parties. Uh, question in there uh, about the dead cap. Uh, it's 6.2 on a post-June 1st cut. So you'll eat that over the next two seasons, but you add about $10 million in, in um, cap space. And don't forget, Ryan, you know, there, there's some valuable potential moves that can still be made in June. And even like when you get into training camp and be into the preseason, like, you know, guy, cap casualties, guys that have to, you know, aren't going to make a 53-man roster and you need room that way as well. Roy Collins asks, does a modification equal a pay cut? Potentially. I mean, if you're reworking the deal and you look at the, you know, what he's played over the last um, three seasons, you know, he's not, he hasn't really played at that $16 million number. So maybe rip, I don't know if you can rip up the deal, but maybe modify the deal in some way. Obviously the, the details of that will come if it ends up happening. And we kind of dive into that with, with Brandon Bean. Uh, but I definitely think that, getting white in a different situation if you're going to keep him on. And I still think keeping him is valuable. Like I, I, I'm not saying like move on from the player. I still think even at 70% of what he once was is still a valuable player at a position that the bills have gotten banged up at over the last couple of years. And the bills could always do something with the contract where there's ways for him to get some money back in terms of, roster bonuses in terms of you know those attainable goals that he could truly get and they could rework it that way save some money but as you were saying the the post june 1st designation there are always those players that are just sitting out there on the market late into the season that you kind of add late uh later on there's the cap casualties but there's also the trade deadline and if the bills have some money to play with at the trade deadline you can acquire a player uh, eat part, you know, that part of the contract, if you have that kind of money sitting around. So injuries take place and there's free agent signings that don't cost as much in season two. So it's not just for free agency in the draft. It's nice to have that money even in season if the bills do go that route. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Brandon Bean said that he saw, or Sean McDermott said he saw Tredavious White back in Buffalo. He's been rehabbing in the facility, as has Matt Milano. And it felt like Matt Milano, like we could see some version of him in the offseason workout program in May. Brandon Bean said it might even be off to the side. But even getting him back to that stage, like with, you know, training camp on the horizon two months to go, I think that would be uh, a huge kind of progression and getting him back. You always worry about a guy coming off an injury. You're you're happy that it's not like a knee or like an ankle situation, and I think it was a broken bone. But it is interesting that Brandon Bean keeps keep, keeps bringing up the fact that it was like a non traditional football injury that he had to kind of deal with. Yeah, that's maybe the most worrisome thing that uh, from the comments from today, something he's never seen from you know his time and and as a GM and and stuff like that. That makes you a little bit weary. That makes you a little bit uh, nervous if you're a Bills fan in terms of, you know, how long of a time frame is it for him to come back? And um, the, the Bills were kind of pretty much right on all season long, shut the door on any kind of potential comeback in season because they obviously knew the details that uh, a lot the fans that the, a lot of the media didn't know. So that's certainly worrisome and maybe the most worrisome comment from today's uh, combine press with Brandon Bean, in my opinion. Uh, next up, like I know this has been a hot topic over the last uh, couple of years and something that um, kind of came to a head when the Chiefs signed Matt Ariza uh, last week. And I asked Brandon Bean about that. And, you know, what was it like to kind of watch last week, a guy that they drafted in the, in the fifth round, uh, ends up going through his whole, uh, you know, civil law- lawsuit situation, ends up uh, getting his name removed from that lawsuit in December, goes on to sign with, you know, obviously the rival tr- Chiefs. And the first thing that he said was, it's not about the team. Now, I'm sure that they're, they're probably he, behind closed doors would tell you a different story just because, right. you know, of course it's the Chiefs, right? Like Bills fans seeing that that headline pop up last week, uh, a lot of uh, aggravation. But, you know, he took us back to that that time. And it's interesting because he mentioned the Von Miller situation and some of the off the field issues with Von stemming from that incident uh, during the season, during the bye week last, last uh, season. And that all the work that they did behind the scenes, they feel comfortable moving ahead with Von Miller even still. They think that's going to be in a really good spot. The legal part of it is still playing out. But he kind of compared it to the Ariza thing in that they, they had a lot of good stuff coming back at the moment with Ariza too. The issue was they were up against the season starting. There was some unrest in the locker room. Matt Ariza obviously needed to go on and, and deal with this legal issue. It ended up like going, uh, I think it was like 18 months before he was eventually removed from that lawsuit. So he needed to go. And unfortunately, because it wasn't a, like uh, charges weren't pressed, Ariza going on the commissioner's exemplist wasn't a possibility. Uh, but they said that they really liked the kid. They liked the player. They were disappointed to have to move on. And this was the final quote from being on, on Ariza. Matt handled it very well from our standpoint. Uh, I don't worry about where he's at. He was great with us. He was very forthright through all of that mess. I thought he handled it uh, with as good as dot, dot, dot. So he kind of trailed off there. If my son was in that way and he handled it in that way, I would have said you did a heck of a job. So like this is a guy that there's still some – affection for within the organization. And I wonder if 
you know, who knows down the road if maybe they don't kind of link back up again. But for now, the punting situation being what it is with Sam Martin, some unrest there, you know, the, the Chiefs are potentially going to get uh, 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 what the Bills fans were hoping was going to be their answer at the position. And listen, I, I get the perspective from the Bills fans. One, they're going to a team that's uh, been a thorn in your side in the postseason for much of Josh Allen's career. And two, uh, imagine you finally stop Patrick Mahomes and they, they're forced to punt. You bring out Matt Ariza, who has you know probably the, the best leg strength of all the punters in the league and can boom a punt 70, 80 yards downfield, uh, flip the field in, in the Chiefs' advantage. So I, I understand the frustration. Buffalo at the time, though, like you said, the, the picture that you painted, Matt, there was no exemption list that he could go on. The season was starting. They needed a punter. Uh, there was a lot of backlash for the team. The, the longer that he stayed on this roster, um, you know, that was part of it as well. Could the Bills have made a play for him at the end of this season to try to get him back on board? I think they probably could have tried. Uh, but maybe a fresh start is exactly what Ariza needs right now. And like you said, they could end up linking back together here in a few years. What is up, everybody? This is Matt Prino from Shout, a Buffalo Bills football podcast, here to talk to you about Prize Picks, the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. Prize Picks is the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on two to six player staff projections and watch the winnings roll in. Football season may be over, but the action on the floor is heating up. Whether it's tournament season or the fight for playoff home court, there's no shortage of high stakes basketball moments this time of year. Get in on the excitement with Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app where you could turn your hoops knowledge into serious cash. You can now win up to 100 times your money on prize picks with as little as four correct picks. You could turn $10 into $1,000 with NBA, NHL, and college basketball entries today on Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app. Download the app today and use code SHOUT. S-H-O-U-T for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, download the app today and use the code SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, for a first deposit match up to $100. Um, Let's move on to Sean McDermott here. And uh, one of the big takeaways from yesterday, and I know uh, a question that a lot of fans want answered is will Bobby Babich call plays uh, for the defense? And of course, Sean McDermott said they're still working through the process. <laughs> I don't think that we thought we were going to get anything else, but I do think that Babich is going to end up calling the defense. I think Sean McDermott likes to do this with people that are in a new role, whether it be rookies kind of coming in and trying to earn a starting job or a young play caller, defensive coordinator who, you know, if you think about it, it was Leslie Frazier before Sean. Sean took over last season. There's been established people in that role all these years. I think what he's trying to do is not put all that pressure on Babbage to take the onus on himself to call the plays. And then if it doesn't go well early on, that could potentially be, uh, you know, something that ratchets up the pressure on Babbage in his first year as the defensive coordinator. So I think he will end up calling the defense. I think it, you know, right now they're working through it, 
from the perspective of he's still got to get into a practice setting, go at it with Joe Brady, which I think is going to be super fun during training camp fans to watch that back and forth. And uh, I think it was either Sean or Brandon asked about that. But the thing that stuck out to me about what Sean said about Babbage was he was impressed with his vision for the Bills defense now and in the future. And, and I think for me that how do you execute a vision if you're not calling the shots? So I think eventually Babbage is going to be the play caller. I think it's going to be sooner rather than later. I agree with that. And I also think that getting some actual reps calling plays against the Bills offense is going to help him a lot. Uh, the Bills could continue the whole mystery of it early on in the season, not declare who's calling the plays, have some kind of system in place. Maybe almost wear McDermott as like a veto power or something like that if need be, but it is Babbage calling the plays. I don't know if that's the best system either, but they're going to work out something because you, you kept Babbage on board for a reason. And he was a hot commodity. A lot of teams wanted him. Um, we don't know if he would have gone on to sign with any of those other teams, but I'm sure in the, in Buffalo's mind, it was a legitimate possibility. You want to keep this guy in house based on the work that he's done with Matt Milano and Terrell Bernard, the safeties before that. And, you know, I I think part of the vision that he has for this defense is knowing exactly the type of players that you want to bring in here via free agency, via the draft, um, I always go back to the Terrell Bernard discussion when they said when they were kind of looking at him as a prospect uh, before they drafted him, and it wasn't what's his height, what's his weight. Uh, he thinks he thought of him as like this player. He didn't didn't think of the player in terms of the size, but like can he do everything that we need him to do in this system? Can he track the football? Can he cover? Can he tackle? And as we saw this season, Bernard, who kind of came out of nowhere for the Bills. Uh, due to an injury at late in training camp and not knowing quite what to expect, uh, did a tremendous job replacing Tremaine Edmonds. So I think that they know the types of players that they want, but specifically Babbage does. And that's going to go a long way in terms of finding these young players are going to have to play more significant reps here, uh, which hasn't necessarily been the case on that side of the ball for much of Sean McDermott's uh, tenure as head coach. The thing about like this, these discussions about moving on from longtime players, right? Like Micah Hyde potentially retiring, Jordan Poyer, the uncertainty there, Trey White. Like this is, it, it feels in a lot of ways like this is a throwback to when McDermott first got here on the defensive side, coaching wise, because back then he was putting together the staff. There was a little changeover from 17 to 18, but for the most part, there's been major continuity on that side of the ball. And so now with Joe Dana in year two, uh, Jamil Adai now is the cornerbacks uh, coach. Um, they have a new nickel uh, coach. They've promoted Marcus West. Linebacker coach going to be Al Holcomb, who was on the staff last year, but first year in that role. This is a completely new look defensive coaching staff when you go through the, in- the entirety of it. And that's why I think more than ever, the Bills could be getting comfortable with the idea of resetting the deck. And I think, like, take aside White, and we talked about him already, but Poyer is an interesting one. And he was asked today, Brandon Bean was, about is it going to be hard to move on from both Hyde or Poyer and Poyer in the same offseason? Because I think that's the thing of it. It's like, okay, I could see both of those players in a vacuum moving on from them, that, but moving away from both of them in the same offseason could be a challenge. Here's what Brandon Bean uh, said about that. 
So I don't know whether it's this year, whether it's next year, whenever. I don't know that you're ever going to find a tandem as good as that. We've been spoiled. So whether you have to replace it all at once or whether you keep one or both, those are all decisions we're still working through. We don't fully control if Micah plays or not, but ultimately we're going to try to make the best decision we can, knowing that if you don't have them both, it's going to be hard to match the pair that we've had the last seven seasons. I totally get that. But here's the thing. The one thing that the Bills have working for them now that they didn't back in 17 and 18, they have a elite level quarterback and an offense that can carry the load on that side. I think you have a little bit more um, ability to change things around a little bit and, and reset the deck at some of these positions and chance younger players. And I have an example, but I want your, I, I want your thoughts on this. No, that, that's a great uh, talking point. And, and, you know, you talk about Josh Allen. It was Patrick Mahomes last year. I know they won the Super Bowl this year as well. But you looked at the youth on that defense and the fact that you let them go through their growing pains uh, in all three phases. And at times it was hard to watch last season, not this – or two seasons ago, I should say. Um, but they ended up winning a Super Bowl. And by the end of the season, a lot of those younger players were having bigger roles, playing significant reps, looking the part. For the Bills, like you said, with Josh Allen, you know, eventually they do have to rip that Band-Aid off, and it might be this season if Micah Hyde decides to retire. Uh, you can keep Jordan Poyer and bring in one guy. Maybe that's the ideal situation. Have the uh, veteran that knows the system inside and out helping a younger player in his first year. But even if you have to, you know, the year after, replace both of them, like you said, depend on the offense or trust in the offense to be able to put up points. Trust that in your coaching, you're going to be able to develop these guys in season and, and know that, yeah, they might go through some rookie lumps. They might go through some second year lumps, but it's going to end up being for the best for that player because the reps that they get is only going to benefit them long term. Mm-hmm. Um, I know people hate when I do that, mm-hmm, but I'm, <laughs> I'm looking something up. Um, so Bean was asked, do you think it, this was a really good question. It was from Mark on the Buffalo news. Do you think it's safety like athletic numbers don't correlate quite as much to superstardom at the position as maybe other positions do? Like obviously wide receivers, running backs, quarterbacks, the athleticism there, defensive ends, edge rushers, linebackers, all that kind of stuff. Um, he said for safeties, he thinks instincts are, are really big. And uh, if, he said, if you're telling me you can have an athletic guy that's a 4-4 safety, runs a 4-4-40, but he doesn't have instincts, I'll take the 4-6 guy with instincts, ball skills, and a little less range. Um, and the example that he used was Kirk Coleman um, out in uh, Carolina. He ended up coming to the Bills a couple years later, uh, played in a depth role for them. But they signed him as a UDFA, and he wasn't you know, uh, big, tall, fast, strong, uh, but he had great ball skills and he ended up having nine interceptions between the regular season and the playoffs on their run to the Super Bowl, uh, which, you know, he credited as like a, a really big part of things there. And to me, that's what you're looking for now. You're looking for that next iteration of that, a day three guy getting a um, somebody that uh, a UDFA that you know, a Cam Lewis type of player. And if it's not Cam Lewis, maybe try to find somebody else. But I don't think you need to break the bank at that position. It's why I don't think they should be even considering safety in the first, second, maybe even third round. Yeah, and, and listen, there's, there's some good safeties in this year's uh, free agent pool as well. And, you know, I don't think the Bills should be out there on day one of free agency trying to get one of those players in. 
if there's a player that sits on the market for a long time, should they call if they like the instincts, if they like the makeup of the player? Absolutely. But it, I don't want to compare it to running back position, but it does feel like safety is almost the running back position of the defense where you can find those guys late. You can find them as UDFAs, plug them in and get some good returns on players. It, there's just something about it where, um, you know, they're not necessarily covering a player one-on-one like you might have a cornerback do. They, uh, they don't have to have the, like you said, the 4-4 speed necessarily. Instincts at the end of the day play a big part. Smarts, understanding the system. Uh, so I'm right there with you on the safety discussion. Uh, that doesn't mean that the Bills, you know, won't uh, go after a safety and free agency. Like I said, if someone's sitting on the market, but it's not necessarily a pressing need in my mind. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button, subscribe to the channel as well. Do you have something that you want us to talk about? We usually go to the Shout Insider text line, but we got love for the YouTube chat, Facebook, over on Twitter. We're streaming live right now. Drop a question in the chat room. We'll go for about another 10 or 15 minutes here, Ryan Talbot. And we got a lot of stuff on the docket. We got some announcements to make. We should have done this yeah. at, at the top of the show, but we'll do it here. All right, why don't you start us off? When's our next Wing Nuts, wing nuts event? Wingnuts 316 day, March 16th. Join us at Wingnuts Friday night, uh, night before St. Patrick's Day. Come join us, you know, a little St. Patrick's Day Eve celebration. We'll be talking about free agency. I'm sure we'll have a little bit of draft talk by then. We'll we'll certainly have uh at least one or two mock drafts out by then, too. So we're gonna have a nice mix of conversation for that show. And then I believe we have another show to announce, man. I'll let you take that one. We do have another show to announce. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you live in Western New York, or maybe it's going to be during spring break, I believe, uh, that week for, for students. So maybe you can kind of hit the road if it's a little bit of a drive. We are going to have our first live show from the Dome to Nine's Kitchen uh, right inside the bar at, at the Whirly Golf Dome, we are going to bring you Shout Live. It is a Wednesday night. Uh, it is April 3rd. I believe it's going to be at 7 o'clock. De- details on start time and everything like that, we still got to work through those things. But I wanted to announce it now because I wanted to get it on everybody's radar and calendar. We're exactly like a month and a half out from this date, and we want to absolutely rock two nines and, and bring the shout live experience to a brand new venue. We're so excited. We went to turning stone last year. Uh, we're hoping to get back there at some point this year. We'll see what uh, transpires there. You know, uh, the, the official home is, is wing nuts for these monthly live events. And now we are adding in two nines. We're so excited about it. Uh, the, the gentleman that we worked with there, a uh, huge fan. His name's Chuck. Huge fan of the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast. So one of us uh, is recruiting us to come out uh, to do a live show there. Ryan, I'm so excited about this one. I am pumped, Matt. I cannot wait to go there. Like you said, it's spring break. So uh, we'll be there before the show. We'll be hanging out after. Looking forward to that a lot. And, you know, Bills Mafia, we've had a lot of you reach out to us with suggestions of places to go. If you uh, own a business and you want to pitch it to us, let us know and we love mingling with the Bills Mafia, and uh, we like taking the show on the road, too, so to speak. All right. The Shout Buffalo Bills Insider text line uh, sent out uh, uh, my five free agent targets. I'm going to be writing about that for next week. 
uh, or potentially right before free agency that'll come out. Uh, got a lot of negative feedback actually on my five <laughs> free agent uh, targets. And I, I think people were disappointed because, you know, there's a couple names at the top, the Michael Pittman's, the Mike Evans of the world. None of those were in there. And so I had to kind of go to that middle to lower tier and people were not thrilled with the names that I threw out there. And I'm sorry about that, but that's the kind of conversation that we have back and forth on the shout insider text line. It is a safe place. And if you want to tell me I'm an idiot, you can do it right there on the shout insider text line, which is brought to you by the Litro law group, Carrie C buyer attorney with the law offices of Francis M Litro located at 237 main street in Buffalo, New York. If you or someone, you know, seriously injured, I'm not kidding guys. Give him a call. Give Carrie a call. 716 716- 852-1234 or let somebody know about them. Check out LitroLaw.com. Proud sponsor of the show. All right, we got any questions in here, Ron? Do you have anything you wanna you want to cover here before we hit the road? No, just a few targets. Not so so much for questions, but uh John Roberts saying that Jeremy Chin, uh Darnell Savage are both young guys could come in. And listen, Jeremy Chin, if the price is right, I would love him as a player. Uh, he flashed in his time in Carolina early on. I know there's been some struggles as of late uh, in terms of his usage, how they use him. I think he'd be a great fit in that defense. And then Charles G mentioned Geno Stone and Mike Edwards for free agent safety. So there are names out there. It's a deeper free agent class. And like I said, the longer some of these players sit, maybe the more appealing they become to the Bills, but not someone you need to go out and attack early on in free agency. Kind of uh let things fall, the dominoes fall, and see where everything lands at the end of the day. I love the idea of Jeremy Chin, mostly because we know how much I think the Bills liked him during the draft process. And yeah. so those are the kind of guys that I think, you know, you circle back around. The one player I, I think that uh, – one thing I have heard, so I've only been out one night in Indy, and that's another reason to, to join the shout Buffalo Bills insider text line because everything I hear out at the bars in Indianapolis – I'm thrown into the, the insider text line. And last night was, it was kind of low key, but one name that I think people should think about is Darnell Mooney, wide receiver from the Chicago Bears. I didn't have him in my original five targets on the insider group, but I am going to take somebody out. I don't know who yet. We'll see. And I'm going to put Mooney in because I think his market is potentially going to be a little bit less than I anticipated. I thought he was going to get somewhere around eight to 10 to $12 million per season, especially since, this cap number is going up. I think that that middle tier now, Ryan, is going to get elevated in terms of the kind of money that they can get. Mooney has speed. He's never played with a truly elite wide receiver. To me, if you get him at around six, seven million on a two-year deal, and that's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing you might be able to get him on a two-year deal at around that number. That is absolutely massive that I think, you know, that, that's the kind of guy you add if you can. Yeah, Mooney is high on my list of free agent uh, wide receivers. I did a podcast recently with a Chicago Bears podcast, uh, and I mentioned the fact I asked them about him specifically as a fit for the Bills, and they said they loved the fit for the Bills. It just didn't work out. He and Justin Fields, you know, they talked about the chemistry that they had. They were always practicing together, just didn't materialize on the field in 2023, but he flashed some big playability early on in his career. He showed what he could do. He has the speed that the Bills are likely coveting as an outside receiver. The price might be right. And, you know, even if the Bills were to take a uh, 
a, a wide receiver in round one or round two, that you can kind of ease them in a little bit if you have a Mooney on the outside ops, Stefan Diggs. Uh, definitely a player to watch. And if I think of it, I'll even try to um, put the link to that podcast. It's been a few weeks now uh, since I've talked to them, but that last segment was about Mooney to the Bills potentially. And maybe I'll link it in here on our show, Matt. Mm-hmm. No, that'd be great. Definitely throw that link along or maybe just even uh, tweet it out. Uh, here's a, here's something that I was looking at as I was starting to really do my deep dive on the receiver class. And this is what kind of threw me off for, for a minute. And I know this number, we've talked to Mike Gennetti on the show about these numbers, these projected market values. They're always a little bit like, all right, take it with a grain of salt, could be lower, could be higher. But if four for four forty one, I just don't see the bills adding in that department in free agency, but to hear like, you know, in NFL circles here in Indianapolis that, you know, the, the market for Mooney might be much lower than that. To me, it, it's a slam dunk. I mean, if for half of that, if you can get him on a two year deal, to me, that is this absolutely. Um, I got like a video here playing, but I wanted to bring up his 40 yard dash at the combine four, three, eight uh, back when he ran, he was a fifth round pick. Uh, for the Chicago Bears. And it's just, it hasn't gone right there. But I think from a size perspective, I know he's only 5'10", but the speed, I think he plays a little bit bigger than he is. To me, that's the kind of person you want to add. Don't forget, they have KJ Hamler. They already have Andy Isabella as as a guy that's returning to the situation as well that's going to compete for a spot. And I don't think you want to add a wide receiver. I've been thinking about this. Like, say... In a perfect, we could add Pittman or Mike Evans. I I, th- I still think I would advocate for that, but it complicates things because now you have Diggs, potentially Evans, two huge parts of the target share, if that ends up being the case. Khalil Shakir, who's your, your slot guy, and then you want them to draft a wide receiver too. Sometimes it's hard to get to, to feed all these mouths, especially considering you, you expect Kincaid to take a step next season. Kincaid to take a step, Knox to be involved, James Cook to still be a pass-catching target. Yeah, it, it certainly would complicate things. But if you do were able to get Mooney at a certain price uh, price point and then you can draft a guy, yeah, maybe that rookie doesn't play as much early on. You'd expand the role as the season goes on or just know that two years from now, that's their position. You can kind of work them up or train them for that spot. But Mooney, if, if you like you, what you're hearing uh, the price could be right. He's definitely a player that fits what the Bills need. All right, uh, Ryan Talbot, thank you so much for taking some time here today to uh, do a little Tuesday pod. Uh, so a little bit of uh, schedule notes. We'll go, most likely go tomorrow, but I got to get back to you on that, uh, depending okay. on schedule. But I'm hoping to link up with a couple of draft experts. I got a couple of other uh, folks in the works. I'm just going to tape some podcasts with people and then we're going to put them out as we go here uh, on YouTube, all the platforms, and then on the audio side as well. And then we will come back with a Friday episode. So tomorrow's TBD, but the Friday episode is going to be really important, Ryan, because that is the day that the wide receivers go. So I want to yeah. get a chance to talk to all of them, bring those kind of experiences to the podcast uh, that I have with all the draft prospects and what I'm hearing about the wide receivers after the week. Uh, and that'll be a must tune into podcasts because I know a lot of people want the wide receiver. Looking forward to it, Matt. Can't wait to talk about the wide receivers. Uh, Can't wait for these episodes. You're going to upload as well as some of the interviews you do this week. All right, Ryan Talbot. I'm Matt Perino. We will see you for the rest of the week. Enjoy it. Combine week. 
one of my favorite weeks of the year. And then, man, we are going to get this thing going over the next couple of weeks on the free agency. Take care, everybody.